Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportions. An accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode Number 9 of the At TSN Hockey Bobcast. This one for Friday, January 18th. 2019. Now, it's actually an early bird edition of the Bobcast, available to you and you only on Thursday, January 17th, because, well, my schedule's a little jammed up this week, and and really the scramble is on to try and get shit done. Uh, Actually, it's been a real whirlwind for me since I did episode number eight from Vancouver a couple of weeks ago. Since then, of course, we know Finland won the World Junior Championship. Congrats to the Finns. Great job. Um, great game, gold medal game, by the way, against the Americans. I thought the Americans were terrific in this tournament, but uh, came up just a little short at the end. So um, anyways, once the World Juniors were over, I flew home on the red eye that Saturday night, Sunday morning. Red eyes, ugh. And, uh, and, and whether it's been work stuff or family stuff or just stuff, it's really been a chaotic, scrambly couple of weeks for me. And you know that feeling where your your life seems to be running you rather than you running your life? Well... That's where I'm at right now. And I also owe our good friend Chris from Canada, who does the show notes for the Bobcast. I owe him an apology because he went to all the trouble, as he always does, of doing the show notes for Episode 8. And I never got around to editing and posting them. And so for that, I'm, I'm deeply apologetic. I don't know if we're going to get show notes this week or not. If we do, I don't even know if I'll get them edited and posted, but I'll try. Um, I also have about, I think it's 167,379 text messages and emails that I haven't responded to, um, that I owe people a return text or email. Uh, the to-do list for work seems to be piling up on me, and there, there just seems to be an awful lot of stuff on the go for the Bob McKenzie Media Enterprise ship. Uh, to say nothing of all the curveballs that life just tends to throw at you, so as Jim Lights would famously say, wow, wow, you know, it, and it, it didn't help matters any that I got sick this week. And, and by the way, I hate people who complain about being sick. I don't get sick that often, maybe once a year, if that touch wood knocking on my head right now. Um, but I did get the old post World Junior sinus infection this week and sinus infections, which I historically have had a lot of problems with over the years. They really suck because... They come with the headache, the sore throat, the stuffed up nose and ears, crazy fatigue, and and really just that overall feeling you've been run over by a truck. But I'm not complaining. (laughs) Wow, wow, I guess I am complaining a little bit. So as my mother would say, suck it up, Bobby. Uh, There's a lot to get done here, and there's not a lot of time to do it, which would make a a, a great motto on one of those inspirational T-shirts, front and back. There's a lot to get done here. And then on the back, not a lot of time to do it. Uh, I am off to Calgary first thing Saturday morning, Lethbridge actually, and uh, the Western Hockey League Hurricanes were kind enough to invite me to be a guest at their sports celebrity dinner on Saturday night. So I'm very much looking forward to that, and I'm also looking forward to see who they got as their celebrity. Punchline there, insert that. 
Um, but so anyways, off to Calgary or thereabouts for the better part of five or six days. And I do expect while I'm in Calgary to hunker down and mostly just work on uh, TSN's midseason NHL draft rankings, which is uh, to say the draft is my life now for the better part of the next week. And it's something of a labor-intensive process, and there's actually a listener question about it where I'm on methodology. So we'll get to some draft talk a little bit later. Um, and it, quite aside from what I've got to do, it's still a big week for the NHL draft anyways. Um, I believe NHL Central Scouting Bureau releases its midterm rankings, one for Europe, one for North America, separate list for goalies, of course. But anyways, the big unveiling of the CSB midterm rankings, I think, will probably happen Monday or Tuesday or someday before the CHL has its prospects game in uh, Red Deer, Alberta on Wednesday. And, of course, that's the other reason why I'm going to be out west in Calgary, in addition to the Lethbridge uh, date on Saturday night. I'll be in Red Deer uh, for the CHL prospects game on Wednesday. And then after that, it's home on the red eye that night. Oh, great, another red eye flight. That'll do wonders for the sinus infection. Um, But... uh, as soon as we land, basically, a few hours later, we'll be knocking off our TSN mid-season draft rankings show on Thursday. And the full rankings list, I don't know how long it's going to be yet. It'll probably be a minimum of 75. Could be 90. I don't know. Anyways, we'll, um, we'll have all that up on tsn.ca on uh, Thursday. So uh, what's that, a week today? Thursday, January 24th. So lots to look forward to on the draft front. Now, literally minutes after the draft ranking show is done, my lovely wife Cindy and I will be flying to southwest Florida um, for the NHL All-Star Weekend. So unless Fort Myers, or more specifically Naples, um, just got awarded the NHL All-Star Game from San Jose, I plan on making like Alexander Ovechkin this year and skipping the All-Star Weekend, which is something I've probably done for about the last five years straight. We call that veteran status. Uh, So, yes, I will be suspending myself for one game on either side of the All-Star break. Or maybe I just won't even bother doing episode number 10 of the Bobcast as my my penance for missing All-Star weekend. Uh, So hopefully some sunshine and decently warm temperatures in in Florida, which is not to be confused with uh, James Duffy's Entirely, and I say this with great amount of envy, um, hedonistic mini-vacation at the Gansevoort Villas in Turks and Caicos this weekend. I believe Jimmy has filed now for citizenship in the Turks. I think he's lining up jobs as a busboy at Coco Bistro or the Conch Shack. Now, if you don't follow Jimmy on Instagram, do so. Uh, He's at TSN Duffy, and if you go to his Instagram stories, you can see firsthand his lifestyles of the rich and famous, and man, oh man, that's a life I so envy, especially this weekend. You are a bastard, James. You are a bastard. But uh, the Florida trip for me is kind of a combo of business and pleasure, and uh, kind of look forward to any little break you can get from the winter weather. Although, to be honest with you, the, the winter weather, it's been cold, but minimal amount of snow. Um, in the Toronto area this winter. We had most of it in November. haven't seen anything since then, hardly. Um, of course, I say that knowing that there's a big forecast of like a foot of snow or something on Saturday, which is the day I'm supposed to fly to Calgary and Lethbridge. So anyways, winter. Blech. 
Okay, uh, enough with all the uh, random bullshit. Um, I now have nine, what, nine straight days coming up, I guess, where I won't be sleeping in my own bed. Uh, I've got a lot of packing and organizing to do, so let's get busy on this episode of the Bobcast. It's been a busy week on the NHL trade front. Not huge stuff by any means, but active nonetheless. Um, I guess the biggest deal we've had down the pipe here in the last little bit was um, Andrew Cogliano going from Anaheim to Dallas for Devon Shore. Um, that's like an Ontario Junior Hockey League trade from different eras. Andrew Cogliano of the St. Michael's Buzzers played on a line with Mike McKenzie, although I should say Mike McKenzie played on a line with Andrew Cogliano and for that matter, Matt Allerstuck. Um Yeah, so anyways, the, the Ducks, I think they wanted to shake things up a little bit. They know Cogliano is an important guy in the room and respected veteran and just wanted to create a little different environment. And obviously... Uh, they want to start transitioning to being a younger team. And if you can pick up seven years in the deal, Devin Shore, who's a region of Durham guy who played for the Whitby Fury of the OJHL, um, they want to pick up the uh, the age difference there for general manager Bob Murray. And, and then Bob Murray's kind of been crazy busy lately, all lowercase deals. But uh, Michael Delzato, Devin Shore, Derek Grant in, Andrew Cogliano, Pontus Auberg, Luke Shen, Joe Blandisi out. Um, Troy Terry and Max Jones called up, so some of the younger guys starting to get a, a shot here. Um, I wouldn't rule out Bob Murray and Anaheim being a team that would like to be active and continue that transition to a younger team uh, between now and the deadline. We shall see. Um, NHL trade deadline is, what, five weeks this coming Monday, and I don't think there's any doubt that things are going to heat up in this past week there there has been you know quite a few deals although most of them are either minor league or or depth deals things sort of started on the 11th Ottawa and Toronto traded minor leaguers Morgan Klimchuk for Gabriel Gagne you had Boston and Ottawa moved uh, Paul Carey for Cody Golubov uh, what Arizona got Jordan Wheel um, from Philadelphia on the 11th uh, Jan Ruda, Slater Cuckoo, and a couple of draft picks uh, swapping hands uh, on the 11th as well as that Tampa-Chicago trade. And then, as I said, mostly Anaheim stuff after that with the uh, short Cogliano deal on the 14th. Oh, there's one, the, the Rangers, Connor Brickley uh, for Cole Schneider. So Nashville and New York as I look down this list and then... Um, mostly the Anaheim stuff that uh, happened, a lot of it, overnight last night. So um, keeping our friend Frank Cervelli very busy on the trade bait board. So um, uh, as I said, I'm fully immersed in the draft stuff for the, the next week. So if you're not already doing so, you really need to do the follow. Following, sorry. Um, follow Darren Dreger. Pierre Lebrun, Frank Cervelli, and at TSN Hockey on Twitter. Um, I don't have Dreg's Twitter handle in front. Just look for the blue check mark. So Darren Dreger, Pierre Lebrun, Frank Cervelli, and the at TSN Hockey account on Twitter. Or also go to tsn.ca and bookmark everything to do with Trade Center. We got the TSN Trade Tracker. We got the TSN Trade Bait Board. We've got all your trade needs between. Um, now in the deadline, and I should point out that my, my good pals and fellow insiders, Dregs and, and Pierre, are already churning out lots and lots and lots of great info and rumors and scuttlebutt. And, and Frank, who is the uh, master of the trade bait board, and be careful you don't say that too fast, 
Um, he's constantly updating. Now, <laughs> um, I kind of feel sorry for Frank because um, the Trade Bait Board is the ultimate purview of um, the TSN Quizmaster. So there's a lot of contact back and forth with the Quizmaster. And while we love the Quizmaster, he's a stickler for details and he tends to be a detail oriented guy. So I'm sure Frank's going to have many, many, many sessions daily with the Quizmaster as they fine tune the board. And uh, for all of that, Frank has my deepest sympathies. Although, if you know Frank at all, I suppose we should have some empathy at least for the Quizmaster. Uh, <laughs> I'd be kidding you to suggest that um, I'm as currently plugged in on some trade stuff as Dregs Pierre or Frank, but um, let's take a quick spin through this trade bait board that Frank has just posted in the last. 24 hours, 48 hours, and I'll, I'll try and riff on a few names and maybe we'll play a little word association. Okay, first off, I need to manually uh, update my hard copy here of the trade bait board. Let's see here. Number 35, Michael Delzato. We can scratch him from the board. Number 36, Luke Shen. We can scratch him from the board. You know what? Frank's a crafty guy. He had Michael Delzato and Luke Shen side by each on the NHL trade bait board, and then they got traded for each other. Do you think maybe he knew something? I suspect he probably did. Um, the first thing that jumps out at me that's kind of interesting about the trade bait board is that Matt Duchesne is number one on the list, and the last guy on the list, number 45, is Mark Stone. I find that interesting. And the reason I find that interesting is because they're both technically in the same situation, with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, key offensive players, big part of their current team, be that as it may. Um, both on expiring contracts. Um, both likely to be traded if they don't sign a contract. So Duchesne at one and Stone at 45, that's a big gap. Interesting. And I think Frank, if I could speak for him, would suggest that um, maybe because Matt Duchesne's not a homegrown Ottawa senator, he might be more inclined to explore free agency. Or that maybe the senators view Stone as being more important to the long-range planning of the team. And as such, Stone goes to the bottom of the trade bait board and Duchesne goes to the top. But as I said, the dynamic is the same for both guys. And the rubber will hit the road here soon enough on both of them. They'll get a handle, and I don't believe the very specifics of what the Senators would offer them on an eight-year deal um, that haven't been presented yet. But when they do, then the Senators are going to expect, I would think, a relatively quick answer from one or the other or both as to whether they intend to stay or not. Because the minute the Senators find out that either one of them um, is even just thinking about leaving and not prepared to commit before the deadline to a long-term future in Ottawa, then those guys are getting traded. They have to be. They cannot walk out the door for nothing. Uh, Wayne Simmons is number two on the trade bait board. Uh, understandable. I think it's much more likely than not that Simmons will be traded as part of a retool that will go on in Philadelphia. I see Michael Furland at number three, Carolina. Makes sense. Uh, he's a, His contract is expiring. Playing very, very well right now. Um, fighting, hitting, scoring, doing all sorts of good things for the Carolina Hurricanes. But uh, the sense seems to be that he's going to want way more years and money than the Hurricanes are prepared to give him. As such, he could be in play. But 
listen, all I'll say about Carolina is what's true today might not be true tomorrow, so we'll keep an eye on that one. Number four, Matt Zuccarello, New York Rangers. Self-explanatory, veteran player, not part of the future. Will be moved. Um, I like Frank getting creative with the number five on the trade bait board. The Oilers' 2019 first-round pick. (laughs) Uh, I could see that. I mean, if you're Peter Shirelli and the Oilers and you start looking for marketable commodities that would bring in something significant and fill the holes both up front and on the blue line, I got to think the Oilers' first-round pick, even if it's lottery-protected for this year, um, might be something that would be of value. Uh, number six on Frank's list, or the TSN list, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. Boy, oh boy, there's been a lot to unpack there over the last week or two on uh, on his front. And I don't know for a fact what's going to happen here. I don't know anybody does. All I know is, as, as we've talked about endless times on insider trading and elsewhere, uh, Bob is driving the bus. He's got a full no trade, full no move. If he wants to move, I'm sure uh, the, the Blue Jackets would consider it for the right price, but the reality is, and we've talked about this ad nauseum all year long, uh, for both Bobrovsky, number six on the list, and as I look at it, number 44, Artemi Panarin on, on the trade bait list. The Blue Jackets seem to be wanting to take as big a run as they possibly can at the playoffs this year, and more likely than not that both guys remain um, in the fold. Uh, let's zip through some other names here. Dougie Hamilton in Carolina. We, we've talked about this in the past. Whether it's Pesci um, uh, or Dougie Hamilton, any right shot D not named Jacob Slavin um, probably could be had out of Carolina. Uh, and then things heat up after that with Detroit. Gustav Nyquist at number eight. Jimmy Howard at number nine. I think the Red Wings will be in cell mode and uh, and see where they go and see what more futures considerations they can reload with by moving some of their veteran guys. Um, rounding out the top ten, Braden Shen of the St. Louis Blues, where things were really heating up with him at Boston in the last week or two. But now that St. Louis is inched its way closer to a battle in that, I want to call the, the full playoff race in the Western Conference, where that final wildcard spot has the Ducks and the Canucks and the Oilers and the Blues and a whole bunch of teams we thought were dead and buried, actually believing they've got a chance, um, that could impact how things go on the whole um, the whole trade front. So anyways, check out the uh, TSN Trade Bait Board on tsn.ca. Um, leave a nice comment about the hard work that Frank does and the Quizmaster. And uh, we'll stay tuned for lots and lots of deals coming up. Uh, the other big news of the week we should probably discuss for a little bit is uh, no World Cup, uh, no World Cup of hockey in uh, 2020. Now I, I got to be absolutely honest with you, I'm not overly brokenhearted about this because the World Cup of hockey, in and of itself, um, and, and this is personal, and maybe it's just me, but I didn't really get into it that much when they had the inaugural one. Uh, when I say inaugural, I mean the the most latest incarnation of the World Cup of Hockey. And to be honest with you, I'm really, and maybe it's just because I'm so old now, I'm, I'm so done with any attempt to make international hockey, or any hockey for that matter, truly and unbelievably compelling and meaningful in, um, in the month of September. It's just not doing it for me. But that, is, that aside, 
forget about whether you love Team North America or whatever country you choose to, to cheer for in a World Cup of hockey and whatever it might become down the road. And and I uh, allow that the NHL and the NHLPA are are right to try and maximize their revenue on on these types of events. Um, but the the bigger issue here, obviously, is that the cancellation of this 2020 World Cup is more symbolic of of something much larger, and that is, I guess, the quest for a new CBA and labor peace in our time. And um, many view that the the National Hockey League and the the National Hockey League Players Association, having to announce this week that they were deep-sixing the World Cup, for now anyways, in 2020, as some sort of clear sign that, well, for sure, for sure, for sure, the lockout is coming. And I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, but... um, Let's take a little deeper dive on, uh, on that situation. Now, we know the National Hockey League was not going to schedule a World Cup. And, and by the way, this week, next week, would have probably been the last possible week that they, that they could, could safely start planning and commit to it. Um, anyways, the NHL wasn't going to do that if there was not an ironclad assurance of labor peace in 2020. Um, the NHL could not, under any circumstances, repeat the disaster of 2004. And if you weren't around for that, then just the World Cup was set for 2004. We had the World Cup, and the minute the thing was over, they basically turned out the lights, put the padlock on, and the lockout of 2004-05, the entire season lost. That whole World Cup was just, there was a dark cloud over it from the get-go. It was more a funeral march than it was a celebration of hockey. And the NHL is not going to repeat that disaster. So it was going to be a tall order, no matter what, for the NHL and, and the NHLPA in, in such a short period of time to, to try and reach an agreement on a whole new CBA or even get this thing to the point where both sides, the owners and the players, were willing to sign off on both of them not, underline not, exercising their CBA reopener clauses that are available to them um, this September. And, and I think as a hockey fan, what you need to know about the labor situation is as follows. that The current CBA doesn't expire until September of 2022. That's a long way off. So you could say, well, we've got labor peace. Nothing's going to happen until 2022. But there is a clause in the CBA that says on September 1st of this year, that would be 2019, we're in just a little over seven months, the NHL has the, the first option to serve notice that they're terminating this CBA effective September 15th, 2020. So according to this current CBA, if the NHL chooses not to serve notice of termination on September 1st, well, two weeks later, on September 15th, the Players Association has the right to serve that notice of termination. And again, same deal. It's a one-year notice. So the players on September 15th of this year, um, so eight months from now, um, could say we're going to reopen the CBA and that would guarantee that the CBA would then expire on September 15th, 2020. Refer back to the World Cup. That's when they wanted to have the World Cup. Therefore, you, you can't do it. Now, in, in order to do that World Cup, it, it basically needed to be fully committed to right now. In fact, they were behind the eight ball probably in trying to get this thing going to the, the degree that they needed to get to. So 
since the NHL and or the PA can't assure the other side that they're not going to reopen in in eight months, um, then, then it's no dice on the World Cup. Simple as that. Now, if my the reaction that I saw on, on Twitter and everywhere else was, oh, there we go. Thanks, Gary. Lockout coming. Well, anyone who follows the Bobcast has known for a little while now that I'm not entirely convinced that we're necessarily headed for another labor stoppage. I mean, it's possible, sure. It's always possible in the NHL. But I really feel like the dynamic is is a lot different this time. Um, I guess let's start with this basic premise. The NHL, in, in by extension, or maybe I should say Commissioner Gary Bettman, and by extension the NHL owners, they don't really seem to want a lockout as much this time. It's crazy, isn't it? What a, what a novel concept. The other lockouts, we knew they were coming. We knew they were virtually guaranteed because we knew that Batman and the owners wanted something. They wanted some very specific things. I mean, in, in 2004, it was a hard salary cap. And, and we knew there was going to be a lockout until the owners got that or the players fought them off on it. But we knew it was happening. And then in 2012, 13, whatever it was, when we had our last lockout, we knew the owners wanted a bigger share of the hockey-related revenue pie, that they wanted to go to 50-50 on player costs, amongst other things. Those were predictable. They, we knew that was coming down the pike, and, and there was no way to avoid it. But I think it's different this time. I really do. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm really, really, really naive, but I don't think so. Um, what I know is Bettman did offer the PA an extension on the current CBA in exchange for a quote-unquote concession to go to the Olympics and, um, and to do a full international hockey calendar that includes the World Cups and the Olympics as a partnership. And, and I get that the, the players didn't want to do that. But the fact of the matter is, what the, the underlying principle of that for me was, hmm, NHL generally likes this CBA. And that they would be prepared to live with it for much longer if the players, if, if the players would just sign off on it and, you know, the only concession, I guess you want to call it, if you call it a concession, was that the owners would say, yeah, let's go to the Olympics. We're, we're cool with that. No problem. And, um, you know, I, I think the very strong feeling all along, um, in my mind anyways, has been that the NHL is not looking at September 1st of 2019 and saying, man, we can hardly wait to serve notice so that we can get the CBA to expire in 2020. Um, and, and there's almost a feeling now that, that if, if, there, if the CBA were to expire in 2020, were that to happen, it's more likely to be the players who pull the trigger on term, the termination clause this September than it is the owners. And, and I think just because the two sides weren't able to get a new CBA deal done or enough of a side deal to askew the, um, the reopeners this fall... That doesn't mean to me that they're not going to be able to get something done between now and September. Uh, I think it's fair to say the two sides have, I don't think they've ever gotten together as early as this and, and started on the, the whole CBA process with as much time to spare. And honestly, I, I don't think there's ever been as strong a sense, at least not for me, that there's actually a deal to be made now as, as it seems there currently is. Now, all that said, it's not going to be easy. 
I mean, if, if the owners generally like the current CBA and are willing to extend it, I think it's fair to say the players aren't nearly as on board with that. You know, they want something done with escrow. They want to find some sort of mechanism or payback or something that could mitigate them losing as much as they lose from their salaries on escrow as player costs continue to grow, I guess, grow faster than the hockey-related revenue. And, of course, there's also the Olympics. The players really, really, really want to go. The owners don't. Um, and the whole aspect of the international hockey calendar that is now going to need to be built in to the next CBA. So no, unquestionably, there is a big challenge that lies ahead here. But seven months to come up with something that makes the players feel like they're getting something? I, I could see that happening. And again, maybe I'm wrong. And I think while the, the PA clearly wants to feel like its issues on escrow and international hockey are addressed, it's not like the tone or tenor that I'm getting out of the PA is, is ultra-militant right now. Not at all. They've got some significant concerns. They're not prepared just to rubber stamp an extension of the CBA for the sake of the Olympics. They already said no to that a year or two ago. Um, but I don't see the players spoiling for a fight either. And not, not the way the NHL was spoiling for one in the last two lockouts. So, so what I would say is this. I'm going to remain somewhat cheerily optimistic, which I almost never am, by the way, um, that these two sides are going to be able to get together and hammer something out in the next seven months. And, and if they do, boom, that's it. No lockout, labor peace for the next however many years, and I guess we all live happily ever after. Um, now, if they don't get a deal done in the next seven months, and one side or the other, and as I said, my guess is it will be the players more than the owners, um, the, the CBA gets reopened, well, then I'd say we're much more likely to have to buckle up. Um, as I said, I, I could be way off here, but I really do believe the owners will let the September 1 reopener deadline pass without serving notice. Um, but if the players haven't been able to secure the deal that they're looking for that addresses their concerns by September 15th of this year, then absolutely I would understand and expect the players to exercise their termination clause. And then the likelihood of a lockout increases dramatically. Not entirely. I mean... I, I guess I would say this. If, if the PA in the league can't come to a new CBA in the next seven months and then the PA reopens it, I'm not sure how optimistic I would be to believe that the two sides would then be able to do something in the 12 months from September of, of 2019 to September of 2020, do something that they couldn't have done in the, the preceding seven months. Possible, I guess. Absolutely. And, and maybe with that deadline of an actual lockout staring them in the face, that would get it done. But um, I, I would say, generally speaking, if, if a deal doesn't get done here in the next seven months and one or the other side reopens in September, then I think all bets are off. And that's when I'll be more likely to jump on the doom and gloom bandwagon. Um, but until then, surely optimistic. All I see on the table right now is, is a great opportunity in two sides. Um, to quote the great legendary hockey philosopher of Switzerland, Christian Volvend, two sides that don't seem too horny uh, to go to war. But uh, like I said, if one or the other serves notice in September, well then, uh, maybe it is turn out the lights, say goodnight. Uh, because even though Gary Bettman said he's not looking for a fight, 
if one were to happen, I would expect the league has in its back pocket a whole laundry list of takebacks, as it has in previous lockouts, that could include term limits on contracts, limitations on how signing bonuses are applied, and who the hell knows what else. But for the next seven months, however, let's just relax, enjoy the ride. You know what time it is on the Bobcast? I know. It's untucket time. Yep, for the seventh consecutive Bobcast, we want to uh, thank our good friends at Untucket uh, for their uh, support of the Bobcast. And uh, to tell you, as I have the previous six episodes before this one, it's never a good look when you untuck a long, bulky dress shirt. And that's why Untucket makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked. You think Wayne Gretzky knows? Yeah, Wayne Gretzky knows. Wayne Gretzky, of course, spokesman, ambassador for Untucket. It's good enough for the great one. It's good enough for you and me. A casual shirt that's not too long, not too short. And Untucket shirts are a go-to for any occasion, from casual to dressy. So many sizing options. How many, you say? 50 sizing options. More than 50 sizing options. Every guy, every size can find the perfect shirt. So go to Untucket.com and check out all the new arrivals. Use the promo code BOBCAST, B-O-B-C-A-S-T, for 20% off your purchase. And as we always like to tell you on the BOBCAST, if you happen to be in the greater Toronto area, visit Untucket at their brand new First Canadian retail store in Sherway Gardens or shop online anywhere. Stop hiding your shirt with your pants and your pants with your shirt. And always remember to wear pants and always remember to get an Untucket shirt. Untucket.com, promo code BOBCAST. Okay, let's uh, soldier on here as I valiantly battle the uh, dramatic and uh, negative impact of a sinus infection. (laughs) Very sick. Uh, Anyways, um, let's get to the first question. Enough nonsense. Uh, First question comes from Lucas a Toronto Maple Leaf fan from Centerton, Ontario. Hi, Bob. Love the podcast. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to record this. My good friend and I grew up being best pals, watching and playing hockey together our whole lives. We tend to agree on most topics in sports and in life in general, but have always been bitter rivals when it comes to the Leafs and the Habs. I'm hoping you can settle a discussion we had the other day that ended in a no decision. The question was... If you are a general manager or coach in the National Hockey League right now and trying to make a deep run into the playoffs this year and you had to choose a healthy defense core, which one would you choose? The Toronto Maple Leafs' current defense or the Habs? Thanks for reading. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Lucas, Leaf fan, centered in Ontario. And you know what that means? It's time for a flash poll. Gotta love the Bobcast flash poll. So here's what I put out. I decided to keep it small sample size. So I decided always pick an odd number just in case you have to break a tie. So I go, I'm going to seven guys and asking them who they like better, the Leafs or the Habs defense. Of the seven, four of them are general managers. Three of them are head coaches. So what I said to them was, my text to them, Quick flash poll for my podcast based on a listener question. If you were a GM or coach of a team looking to make a deep run in the playoffs, whose D would you take, Toronto or Montreal? And then as a full service thing, I added in, 
Toronto defense consists of Riley Hainsey, Gardner Zaitsev, and Dermot Ojaganov. So that's Riley Hainsey, Gardner Zaitsev, Dermot Ojaganov. Montreal defense consists of Mete Weber, Riley, not that Riley, different Riley, Mete Weber, Riley, Petrie, Kulak, Ben. I said to them, I think I know the correct answer, but I decided to throw it out there for some expert opinion. All right, so let's uh, come back with the results. Not surprisingly, it was a landslide. Seven out of seven hockey people, four GMs, three coaches, chose the Toronto Maple Leaf defense over the Montreal Canadian defense. But the beauty of a flash poll is not the result, especially when you ask a question that more people than not would think is, is pretty obvious. But it's to get the additional comments and reflection that come when I ask these guys this question. So um, that's, that's the best part of it. So let's go through... Um, some of the context that was also uh, provided from these guys. There may be some awkward pauses here while I hunt and peck through my phone for these uh, variety of responses. Uh, one coach was pretty funny. He, he suggested that I didn't need to put the quotation marks around experts or expert opinion. Um, let me see. What's the next one here? Oh, yeah. Somebody else made a joke about expert opinion. So that was good. Hold on. Um... Here we go. Okay, this is interesting. Um, how about this response? I'm not sure either one of them is necessarily destined for a deep playoff run, but it's a team game and not just a defense question, so you can't make too many conclusions, but I think Toronto gets the nod. Interesting. Uh, another response that was interesting um, hold on. I can't say that. Get that guy in trouble. Okay, here's one. Um, I actually think it is closer than some people would think. I think Shea Weber is still really good and efficient, and I like Petrie more than the others. Hainsey is not as good as he was, not as good as last year or the year before, and I would give the edge to Toronto simply because Morgan Riley is the best D listed. However, Toronto could use another efficient defender. Hmm. Uh, another one suggested that Toronto forwards are elite and uh, that could mask the D issues if their goalie is very, very good. And let's see if we've got something else here. Uh, one more. I say Toronto, but I like Shea Weber the best of all of them. So there you have it. Anyways, Toronto gets to the clear nod, but uh, it's pretty clear that in the limited sample size of seven hockey people reflecting on Toronto's D, as much as they might like it better than Montreal, sounds like a lot of people think that Toronto should be in the market for an upgrade and that uh, if either one of these teams wants to go deep into the playoffs, they're going to need a lot of other moving pieces to fall into place. Memo to the TSN sales department, this flash poll is, uh, it sounds pretty marketable to me. I think we need a sponsor. Um, hey, we do have Untucket as a sponsor on the Bobcast. So until further notice, they are now the flash poll sponsor as well. Bonus.
Okay, let's move on here. Something I'll entitle the uh, a new feature on the Bobcast. I just made it up as I sat here. The Suggestion Box Memo to TSN Sales. Let's get a sponsor for that. I like it. Um, this was actually a, a, a good email from a listener who said, Hi, Bob. Just thought I would send this email with my take on a penalty situation. If you have some time to fill, oh, we have time to fill, that you might want to share your thoughts on it. I am of the view that when there is a delayed penalty on a team and the other non-penalized team pulls their goalie in favor of a forward and scores, that the team scoring should still have the benefit of a two-minute minor penalty. One reason being that both teams still have the same number of players on the ice, albeit that one team has likely exchanged their goalie for a forward. They are simply taking advantage of the situation in that when the to-be-penalized team touches the puck, that play will be whistled down. Let's not forget that it is possible to score on oneself. More importantly, if a team scores by pulling their goalie, they will not have had the opportunity to really enjoy playing with the man advantage. This would certainly add more scoring to the game. Also, like, <clears throat> excuse me, also nothing like rubbing a bit of salt on the wound for taking a really stupid penalty. On a side note, I agree with you that the album L.A. Woman by the Doors is excellent, has always been one of my favorites. 1971 was an exceptional year for classic rock vinyl, Led Zeppelin IV, Who's Next, and my personal favorite, Sticky Fingers. Regards, Serge Zuliani from Calgary, Alberta. Okay, first off, Serge, outstanding musical taste. Man, Sticky Fingers is so good. Led Zeppelin IV, Who's Next. Man, that's like a murderer's row of classic rock. So I like the way you're thinking, Serge, on the music front. I also really, really, really like the way you're thinking on this whole score with the uh, on a delayed penalty and still get the full two-minute minor or you know, at least an opportunity uh, to go back on the power play. I like that a lot. In fact, I, absolutely. Like, what's... Let's get on this. Let's start a movement here. Um, I mean, usually, and as, as Serge points out, you can always put the puck in your own net, get the bad back pass, goes right in. I mean, so there is some risk involved in taking your, uh, your goalie out. Um, and, and why, even if you score with the, the guys pulled, he, Serge is absolutely right. You're just taking advantage of a unique situation in the game where if the other team touches the puck, the whistle blows. That shouldn't negate a two-minute power play. Whatever the player did to warrant the penalty, scoring a goal on a delayed penalty is not enough to wipe it out. So I'm 100% on board with that, and I'm going to do the reverse of a flash poll. I'm going to uh, text all the general managers and see if we can't get this put on the the agenda for the uh, general managers meeting in Boca Raton, Florida in early March. Little follow up email here from uh, Don McDougall, uh, somewhat related to um, the last one from Serge, but this is more to do with what we saw at the World Junior Championship with that crazy uh, two penalty shot uh, uh, awarding. Hey, Bob, someone has probably informed you about this, so in case not, here it is Hockey Canada Rulebook 4.9, Situation 16. Note a maximum of two penalty shots can be awarded in the same play. If a goal is scored on the first shot, the normal two-minute minor penalty, tripping, slash, throwing stick, etc., would be assessed. The double IHF probably has the exact rule as well. 
I have refereed hockey for 35 years, and I've never seen or heard of it happening, but I did know about this rule as we used to try and stump the other refs on, a, on exactly this rule. Thought this would help. Uh, thanks, Don McDougall. P.S. Always watch you on TSN. Enjoy your commentary. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much. No, thank you, Don, for the kind uh, email and the explanation. And, yeah, we figured it out uh, during that game with the double IHF rules being the same as the Hockey Canada rule book. And I'm not even sure that if you if you score on the first penalty shot, that your second penalty shot should be wiped out. If you were the infractions committed against you warranted penalty shots, then I say you get two penalty shots, even if you score on the first one. Penalty shot is a penalty shot is a penalty shot. Don't make it a two-minute minor. So there you go. So now I got more lobbying to take care of with Hockey Canada and the double IHF. Next email comes from William. Hey, Bob, I have a statement slash question for you about the recent uproar over Connor McDavid being pushed from behind by Hampus Lindholm. I mean, really, he got pushed. No contact with his head and the boards, and he wasn't hurt. But yet, splashing all over the TSN website is asking the question, is the NHL doing enough to protect superstars? Now, this incident, which I consider to be very minor, is being discussed everywhere. Yet the boarding hit by Brandon Manning, trying to make a name for himself in Edmonton, uh, to Winnipeg's Brandon Tanev, didn't even get mentioned in hushed tones, much less penalized. So my question to you is, why not? The official was less than five feet away and saw the whole thing, and his reaction looked like he was motioning, what, what, to Tanev. Is McDavid more entitled to extra attention from the officials than Tanev? Well, William, here's what I would have to say about that. First off, McDavid didn't get get a penalty on the situation and didn't draw a penalty on the situation uh, from Lindholm. And Manning didn't get one either for the hit on uh, the cross-check on Tanev. So the point's still the same. And, And I think you bring up a really good point. I think it's really bad that we only talk about situations like this if it involves a star player. My attitude simply is whether you're a fourth liner who's barely hanging on for dear life to be in the NHL or you're Connor McDavid, you're, you deserve the same amount of protection. And I've been on record for many, many, many years now of not liking the push. And it happens all the time in various spots. It happens less in front of the net now than it used to. Um, but it certainly happens on board play, either at the end boards or the side boards. And, you know, you see it all the time. Players want to protect the puck, so they put numbers to the defender. And, you know, quite often the defender will feel like, well, I've got no choice here but to lay on the guy's back. And sometimes it's a shove, and sometimes it's a cross-check, and sometimes it's not that forceful, but sometimes it is. But it doesn't seem to matter unless it's, like, really, really, really bad and causes a, a significant injury Most referees are inclined, and because I'm assuming this is the direction that they're getting from the league, they're not inclined to make that call. So the push goes unpunished, and I think we should be a little more discerning in terms of um, giving two-minute minors for the forceful push or cross-check from behind. Now, the only problem with that is the minute you start doing that in this league, everybody's looking for an advantage. And these forwards who've got their back turned to the play and they know they're protecting the puck, you know what comes next. Diving, embellishment, 
throwing yourself. There are players, it seems, in the National Hockey League who would literally throw themselves face first into the dasher, maybe even draw a little blood if they could, just to get a minor penalty or, for that matter, a major penalty. But that's the problem that you run into with, um, with crackdowns like the one that I outlined. But generally speaking, um, we need a, a crackdown on the push from behind, and it shouldn't matter whether it happens to Connor McDavid or Brandon Tanev. There is no difference. Well, there is a difference, but not in this instance that we're talking about. Okay, next up is a rules question. This from Sylvain Germain, a Habs fan in Sacramento, California, who, by the way, says, P.S., next time you're in Napa, check out Vineyard 29. They have great cabs. And a, villi- and a visit to Castello di Amoroso Winery is well worth it. Very good. Vineyard 29, check. Castello di Amoroso Winery. Put it on the uh, bucket list. Thank you, Sylvain. Okay, um, here's the question, the rules question from Sylvain. I have a question regarding the broken stick rule. Last week in the Habs-Sharks game in Montreal, a piece of Martin Jones' stick broke at the shaft of a Shea Weber shot. Martin Jones did not drop his stick knowing it was broken, and the refs did not call an equipment violation penalty. Are goalies not subject to playing with the broken stick rule? Thank you, Sylvain. Um, You're absolutely right, Sylvain. I didn't even have to ask Stephen Walkham or anybody from the NHL on this one. This one, I knew. Goalies are allowed to play with a broken stick. Whatever they can salvage from their broken twig, they are permitted to put it in their hand and try to make a save. Next question comes from friend of the show, Alan Steele, a mass hole through and through. Um, and if the name sounds familiar, it should be because I think I mentioned Alan. He, he loves the Netflix recommendations, uh, submits multiple questions, but most importantly of all, sent me his blue line Blue Line Holdings hoodie um, that I have in my dressing room here at TSN. It's quite a lovely hoodie, and I'll be taking that home with me. And I guess what I'm saying is, if you send me all sorts of free shit, you're much more likely to have questions regularly answered on the Bobcast. Cash will do in lieu of hoodies, by the way. Alan. Uh, Anyways, Alan did ask a question about waivers, and he asked if there's a wink-wink nudge-nudge deal between general managers to not grab other teams' players. Because Allen goes on to say that he sometimes notices good players on waivers who don't get claimed. And the short answer to the question, Allen, is no. There's not a a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, hands-off approach. It's just that most teams, A, they don't want to add a contract without subtracting one. That's first and foremost. There's a 50-contract limit. And if you claim a guy on waivers and you come in, you've just added somebody and you could be getting perilously close to that 50 contract limit. And usually if a player's on waivers, it means he's not a bottom of the barrel guy, but he's a fringe player. And as such, now you're going to give yourself less flexibility to make future deals because of your contract situation and uh, all for the sake of a waiver claim. So um, generally speaking, guys get put on waivers, A, to be sent to the minors, or B, as a precursor to, we'd like to get rid of this guy, and maybe you won't claim him on waivers, but you are interested enough to pick up the phone, give us a call, and we'll see what uh, crappy contract or crappy player we can take back the other way. So that's basically why 
there aren't as many waiver claims as you might think there would be. Follow-up question. Oh, by the way, thanks, Al. Um, Follow-up question comes from Mitchell Rake. How do unconditional waivers work? Can a team claim the guy? Unconditional waivers are different than the regular waivers simply because unconditional waivers means, as a rule, it's usually done in order to mutually terminate the contract. So you get a player, quite often a European player, not always, but more often than not, it's a European player in an NHL organization. Maybe they're in the, the American League. They don't like it there. They don't, they've given up the dream of playing in the NHL. They just want to go home and play in a European League, and they want to free themselves up from their NHL slash AHL contract, their two-way deal with the, um, the NHL club, and free themselves up to be able to play, uh, to sign a contract in the KHL or some European League and get a lot more money than they're making in the, uh, in the American League. So that's, as a rule, the, the reason for unconditional waivers. So when you see a guy on unconditional waivers, and it only costs 125 bucks to claim a guy on unconditional waivers, you're basically saying, we'll assume your contract. But if the guy doesn't want to play there anymore, unless you can convince him otherwise and you think there's some reason why you should, um, n- almost never does somebody get claimed on unconditional waivers. The other reason for unconditional waivers is they are the necessary precursor to buying somebody out. So as a rule, um, when that's happening, you're not going to claim somebody who's getting bought out. You're much more likely to wait until they're bought out and then go for a pennies on the dollar type uh, free agent offer to the guy as opposed to um, assuming his existing contract that his existing team found so onerous that they felt the need to buy him out. All right, then, uh, time for some listener feedback. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the, uh, of the Bobcast, because we always get some uh, really thoughtful listener feedback. Um, this one comes from Cole Armstrong. Hi, Bob. I hope this email finds you well. I've been meaning to drop you a note for some time, and I hope this finds its way to you. I'm originally from Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and I still do my best to follow all sorts of Canadian media, media one of which is the Bobcast. Though I now live in the Bay Area of California, I've been listening and following for some time. One of my favorite episodes of the Bobcast was your discussion of the tragically hip and notably your relationship and friendship with Gord Downey. So much of what you said and even what Gord said resonated with me. I lost my dad six years ago. He was a hip fan, and the more time I've had to reflect the more I've realized my dad was a cool guy. Oddly enough, your episode in the way you spoke of and with Gord has helped me to realize that. Also, after hearing of the impact that Gord had on the Thornton family, I reached out to John Thornton and we have emailed back and forth a bit. I saw Joe, though uh, though I didn't get to introduce myself, recently at a San Jose Sports Hall of Fame induction, which is what prompted this email. I know this email address is typically used for Bobcast questions, but I'm just writing to say thanks and also to say if you're planning on being in San Jose for the All-Star Game weekend, it would be great to cross paths. If you're available, give me a shout. That from Cole Armstrong. Well, that call was a very nice email to receive. I always think back fondly to the, uh, the Bobcast episode where we talked uh, about Gord and I actually played uh, at length um, my uh, interview with Gord 
that led to me writing the chapter that I wrote about Gord and the Tragically Hip and hockey in uh, my book, Hockey Confidential. So I'm glad that that had an impact on you. I'm very sorry to hear that you did lose your dad six years ago. And um, it's cool that uh, you kind of have that bond to share in terms of the, the Tragically Hip and Gord and your dad and all wrapped up in, into one. So um, anyways, I, uh, I texted Cole because um, he did leave me his phone number. Um, so I messaged Cole to tell him that I won't be at the All-Star uh, weekend, but if I am in San Jose, by all means, I'd uh, be happy to hook up with a, uh, a prairie guy who's now in the Bay Area. Next listener feedback comes from FP Fellows. Hi, Bob. I know this isn't the most pleasant subject, but I feel that it is pretty important. I have been enjoying watching Team USA at the World Juniors, so it was disappointing to me to come across a USA Today article in the midst of the tournament that talks about how USA Hockey is failing to protect its young athletes from abuse. For some unfathomable reason, USA Hockey has decided that their list of people banned from their organization is kept entirely private. What good is a list if no one knows about it? Over the past couple of years, the USOC, United States Olympic Committee, and its governing body, including USA Hockey, have faced a bit of reckoning due to several high-profile abuse cases. As we know, unfortunately, hockey has not been spared from these instances. Childhood sexual abuse affects more than we would ever like to ourselves to believe. The stats in the U.S., one in four girls and one in six boys. I was wondering if you could pass along to your listeners a campaign called Flip the Switch from Darkness to Light, a leading nonprofit working to end child sexual abuse. People anywhere in the world can go to flipthetwitchcampaign.org and use the code FLIPTHESWITCH and have free access to Darkness to Light's Stewards of Children training, the leading child sexual abuse prevention program in the U.S. The campaign is being financed by an Olympic gymnast, and there is a particular focus on youth sports, but the course is really helpful to anyone who interacts with children and recognizing warning signs. Thank you for considering passing this on. I know the subject is a bit of a downer. Cheers, FP Fellows. Thanks very much, FP. I think this is a really important message, and it doesn't matter whether it's perceived as a downer or not. Um, There's nothing more important um, to any of us, really, than uh, protecting our children, especially from sexual abuse and exploitation and in in all areas, but obviously for those of us that uh, have raised kids through um, minor sports or sports programs. Um, this is a huge issue, and it hits all too close to home in hockey with everything that went down with the heinous acts of, of Graham James, um, those involved with the, the sexual abuse scandal at Maple Leaf Gardens set against the backdrop of Maple Leaf Gardens, and so, so many more. And um, the the program that FP talks about um, is a champion gymnastic Ali Raceman Um, trying to get people trained to help protect children from sexual abuse. So if you're interested in checking out that website, I'll just reiterate it here for you. It's flipthetwitchcampaign.org. So it's flipthetwitchcampaign.org. And uh, there's a whole program there, and it looks very interesting. And and I mean, all that stuff with the, the, the gymnastic program in the United States and everything that happened at Michigan State, oh, my God, it's just... 
it's been endless and it's been terrible. And as we've mentioned before on the Bobcast, um, if you want to explore any of that, uh, somebody who's done some amazing work on that front is our good friend, Katie Strang, now with The Athletic. Um, so uh, Katie's done such important work on, on that front. And uh, we thank FP for raising this issue. And um, just know that uh, uh, we, we all need to continue to be vigilant and just do a better job of uh, taking care of our kids on every front. Next feedback comes from Stephen in Surrey, B.C. Hey, Bob, I'm not sure you'll remember this, but I just wanted to thank you for taking the time out of your day to stop and take a picture with my dad and I as you were heading into Rogers Arena at the World Junior Championships. It meant a lot. Love what you do and keep up the good work. Stephen from Surrey, B.C. Well, thank you, Stephen. The honor was all mine. And uh, all of us, uh, we try to be as accommodating as we can on that front because uh, we love our fans and the support we get at TSN. So um, thanks very much, Stephen. Glad you hope you enjoyed the World Junior. And Vancouver and Victoria were tremendous hosts. We had a great time there. Uh, next up. Mike Messina, not that one, I don't think, but Mike Messina, a longtime fan and Bobcast listener based in New York. Maybe it is Mike Messina. Uh, Currently living in Flushing, Queens. Sorry you have to deal with LaGuardia LaGuardia Weekly, but I grew up in the Hudson Valley, which is home to America's oldest winery, Brotherhood Winery in Washingtonville, New York. I know that you're a connoisseur of fine wines, and I would love to send you a selection of samples that my hometown winery has to offer Please send me an address to mail you a few of my favorite wines from a place near and dear to my heart. I'm 24 and work there on and off since I'm 15, even helping with events as I get my career going. Wishing you, your family, and the Bobcast constituency a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you for all your hard work over the years. Mike Messina, and that's M-E-S-S-I-N-A. I don't think he's a pitcher. But in any case, thank you so much, Mike. That's very kind of you. I'm going to respectfully um, decline your offer only because sending wine to Canada is not an enjoyable experience, not for the sender, not for the receiver. Um, Liquor laws being what they are, duties and taxes being what they are, it just opens up a whole can of worms um, and actually opens up a bottle of wine, but that's another story. In any case, I am going to duly note the... Brotherhood Winery, America's oldest winery in Washingtonville, New York. And the next time I'm in the area, I will buy a bottle, support them, and support you. And thank you very much for the kind offer. Okay, speaking of wine, um, this one's from Nick from I Falls, Minnesota. I'm going to guess that's International Falls, Minnesota. Hi, Bob. Listening since the beginning, love your show. Not only the NHL talk, but love your knowledge of the World Juniors and all the younger talent about to come into the league. But some of my favorite parts are the extras, Netflix, and wine suggestions. I love Peaky Blinders. Thanks for that recommendation. I recently started drinking Sauvignon Blanc again and was wondering if you have any suggestions, recommendations. Keep up the good work. Well, Nick, um, I'm not much help to you on Sauvignon Blanc or, for that matter, any white wine. I do dabble with a little bit of white um, in the summer, but I'm much more of a Riesling, I don't even know how to pronounce, Gewürztraminer or whatever it looks like it's spelled like, but it begins with a G. I'm more likely to go down that road um, than I am uh, Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay. 
Um, so I can't help you out there. But what I do remember, as soon as you say Sauvignon Blanc, it triggers something for me, and that is cat pee. When I was first getting into wine, I read a book, and it wasn't Wine for Dummies, but it was something along those lines. And as I was reading the section on Sauvignon Blanc, um, they said that it's often referred to or compared to cat pee. And that's not a a good thing, I would think, but nevertheless, it seems to be uh, a connoisseur type thing. Um, And in fact, there's actually a white wine that's available at the LCBO, and it's called Cat's Pee on a Gooseberry Bush, Sauvignon Blanc. So that's unbelievable. Um, I did do a little research for you, though, and some people claim that Roberto Robert Mondavi in California in 1968 sort of staked his claim to fame on Sauvignon Blanc, or what he was calling at the time Fumé Blanc. Um, and I did further research into this whole cat pee thing, which i got to be honest with you, it's, it's not working for me. But um, they say it is uh, something to do with something called volatile thiols or theols um, that produce the smell of gooseberry, guava, um, and there's some other things I can't even read my writing here, but also cat pee. Um, so there you go. Um, also pyrazine apparently is a natural element found in many wines that causes the, cat's, the cat pee smell of high-quality Sauvignon Blanc. So I'm just going to stick to my Italian red, if that's okay with you. Speaking of Netflix recommendations, as Nick uh, referred to in the last uh, bit of feedback, I got a few of them for you. Just a a few quickies here, post-World Junior. Uh, The Kaminsky Method, it's a big-time wine. I mean, anything that's got Alan Arkin and Michael Douglas is not exactly uh, a secret. And I saw in the Golden Globes the other night that was winning awards and Michael Douglas was up there or whatever talking about it. But it's... uh, it's really good. It's uh, right now. It's uh, I think a six-episode season um, about Alan Arkin and Michael Douglas on the perils of men growing old. Uh, so that was really cool. There's another one here that uh, I jumped on, knew nothing about, just kind of cold watched it and really enjoyed it. And it's called Pine Gap, and it's sort of a cyber security thriller, um, political, economic, social. Uh, set in Australia, a lot of international intrigue and that sort of thing. Uh, but in any case, I really enjoyed Pine Gap. So jump on that. I think it's one season, six, eight episodes. I'm not sure. And the other one, British Copper Show, would be Collateral. Um, quite enjoyed it. And again, it's a one season, I think four, six episodes, whatever it was. Um, but in any case, Collateral, um, pretty good, uh, pretty good series to watch. I did mention earlier that um, I had a question about uh, draft rankings, methodology, and a few draft-related questions. But uh, you know what? To be honest with you, I'm kind of running out of time here. Um, i got to get going. I mean, I've got to do an episode of Insider Trading, and I basically have nothing uh, researched. Uh, So Darren Dreger is going to have to carry me on that front, as he always does. Um, And uh, i got a meeting about... potential book project coming up. Uh, uh, I got to get packed, you know, and, and you know what? My head hurts, that sinus infection. My ears kind of blocked up. My throat's a little sore. I'm tired, you know, just so tired. And, but you know me, I, you know, don't like to complain. 
Take care, everyone. Have a good one. We'll be back at you in a couple of weeks. Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's at TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the at TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.